0: Focusing on the last three factors of the path, that's where the magic happens. The initial five factors are the setup for allowing you to be at the doorstep of the last three factors. And that's where the Chitta, the higher mind, is developed But only if you understand it, and there just seems to be a lot of confusion around that, and we went through, I hope, very clearly, thoroughly, and repeatedly, the nature of the right effort, and right effort is bluntly contrary to most uh, popular ideas about how you resolve difficulties in life in in psychological problems and that is that there's just a rerouting of the mind an abandonment of um, the exploration and investigation of the various episodes in one's life as, as not the cause or not the solution to uh, feeling better. <clears throat> it it could help, but it's um, it's not what Buddhists do. I mean, it's not what the Buddha advocated. And so the Buddha is advocating a uh, a shortcut. And at the basis the the bottom of this idea is that there isn't a real entity, the real self to to deal with, to begin with. And so this, uh, this, this fantasy of self is something we get over at the highest stages of life. We get over the fantasy construction of a self. We don't lose our self. We never had one, but there is various stories and assumptions about it. So, it seems that uh, it works. And this is also that Buddhism has a long history and very pragmatic. And there are reports from not just handfuls or hundreds or thousands, but millions of people that there's transformation that takes place if you take these shortcuts. And, And the first shortcut is dismissal. So... A heightened awareness, of course the Buddha says your mindfulness in general is weak. It's adequate to get you to work and get you through the day. Sometimes not adequate for that even. But it's not adequate for being highly aware of what's going on in your mind. And that you see needs to be exercised. And that's the shocking experience of your first meditation retreat or your first meditation experiences that you can't seem to control your mind. When you get over that shock, then uh, you're on your way to mindfulness, increasing awareness and clarity of what's going on in your mind. But that's not enough either. Awareness and clarity of what's going on in your mind is not enough because it's really not awareness and clarity. It's a beginning. Awareness and clarity only arises when you have dealt with what's going on in your mind, when you have some degree of control, and experience in it. So the first, your first introduction to meditation is to take you out to a unplowed field and say this could be a garden. Um, the next is to do the sweaty work of turning over the soil, and then uh, to continue on your gardening experience until you are reaping abundant. Results things that you can both that both nourish you and that are beautiful, so gardens are grow vegetables and they also grow flowers, and they all just have a nice spacious arrangement so this is where we 're going with the mind the mind mind is being gardened, and we have to get right to it and not just be an observer. Of wilderness growing, and so we've we've stepped out of the wilderness uh, into the cultivating uh, scenario. So this is uh, some the first technique is of course dismissal. The minute you see something invading the garden that is shouldn't be there. And you have to have a clear idea. This is the five hindrances. You really have to go through them at their subtle and their coarsest level and you have to not waste too much time but mostly just shoo them away when they arise. And only if they're very persistent do you have to go into other techniques. One of them is replacement. So you can think of, uh, of just planting a whole new Structure in a certain area of the garden, and ridding yourself of the the whole issue of the weeds uh, that are invading. So, and the the hardier and stronger that area of the garden is, the less you will have to deal, deal with weeds. Other techniques that are require more strength are more about taking longer with them and bringing them down in stages. You know, when you get a certain kind of uh, level of anger or obsession about things, it takes a while to get these things out of your system. And we should be patient with ourselves. If we can't uh, stop them on a dime, then we need to uh, have strategies for bringing them down in stages. And... Uh, You know, such things as visiting monasteries, listening to Dhamma talks, reading books, associating with uh, people who are standing outside of that particular difficulty that you have. Uh, These are all very helpful ways of initiating uh, yourself towards the reduction and removal of these negative things. So these are other strategies Whoever is, if you, if you want to cultivate and develop certain strengths, hang out with people who are good at that. The Buddha talks about associating. If you want to develop uh, samadhi, then go to a community where they cultivate that and practice that and teach that. If you're working on scholastic kind of things, ideas, then you go and associate with uh, scholars also, uh, <clears throat> just uh, the skilled behavior, uh, a lot of uh, the, the monks who were here and around the world, the Western monks, went to uh, Thailand to the, some of the forest monasteries, particularly Ajahn Chahs, because they have a very high standard of uh, good behavior, Vinaya. So you, you go there to learn this elegant, uh, skilled behavior. Uh, you hang out with them. So if, like, if a monk just is teaching uh, samatha practice, but doesn't want to deal with uh, tr- training monks for behavior, just wants to uh, show them how to concentrate. If you don't know uh, about skillful, virtuous behavior, then you you're, you might uh, regress there. So all of these things. You have to ask, what do I want to learn? And then find uh, like-minded people to help you along with that. So these are just uh, the techniques the Buddha offers. And, and it's, uh, it's not endless. The techniques are not endless. There's just a handful of techniques that need to be very fluent and practiced problem generally in uh, certain kind of buddhist teachings or quasi buddhist teachings is that they tend to introduce all kinds of uh, ideas from western psychology that are not not necessarily appropriate to the buddhist project so it's good to get the how the buddha handle these things straight from the buddha and bypass these things because they're not necessarily marks of progress that modern psychology is not necessarily an advancement or a mark of progress over the techniques uh, that the Buddha developed so if we get this idea of right effort in mind and right effort as I talked about the other day just in uh, keeping it easily in mind is primarily five hindrances got to go Seven factors, got to stay. And you just keep that in mind, and you will be right on the right track. And you just keep an eye out for it in everyday life. Notice the hindrance rising. Don't make anything elaborate out of it. Just free yourself from it as quickly as possible without a melodrama. Just uh, All you're doing is interrupting habit structures and replacing them with new habit structures. And there's nothing, it's just a matter of repetition. It doesn't have to be invested with a lot of melodrama or anything. In fact, we'd better not to. Uh, The unskillful characteristics you have are not, is not a sinful nature or something like that. We're we're bringing all kinds of baggage from just the culture and the post Judeo-Christian tradition. It's not really a moral issue or a An issue of sin, whatever that is, it's it's uh, habit structures of the mind, and they're just they're almost mechanical how they work. And all you have to do is exercise in the right way, and you'll see that new new paths developed. Um, and those paths are very you can actually feel it. You 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 become aware that you're that you 're changing that you reacted in a different way it 's not always uh, so clear but it 's uh because it is a gradual process and the Buddha has these similes about a uh, a carpenter using a hammer and the handle eventually wears out because of the sweat and dirt from the hand but to uh, ask yourself how much did it wear out today it's, it's impossible to see the change but over a period of time they wear out and so this is a regular repetition that's the, that's the image of gradualness that the Buddha gives you can't really say from day to day um, sometimes things abruptly stop uh, whole habit patterns depending on how deep they are in your personality and that's the other simile the Buddha gives is the Like a line drawn in water. And the line, as soon as your finger goes through the water, the line closes behind you. But you can see it for a second. If you rapidly pull your finger through the water, you see this line and it closes. And that's, that's a, a type of process in the mind where it's, the, the habit structure is not deep. And you can easily get rid of it very quickly, You know, in, in just a, a little bit of reflection and it's gone. Next is a line drawn in sand. And uh, sand takes a little longer. You come back a week later, and the sun and the wind and the motion of waves and so forth have removed that. So it's a little longer. And then the last one is a line drawn in rock. And that takes some more persistence. But nothing is permanent. And so we see that water wears away rock. Rock. We see that in the river, the rocks become smooth and all of the crenellations and the uh, rough aspects of the stone are worn away. In fact, the stone itself is ultimately worn away because the stone has no essence. Just like the self has no essence, even the stone, there's no core to the stone. All of it's up for grabs Eventually, the stone itself disappears with enough wearing, so these the very source of these unskillful habits also became, becomes uprooted, and that 's what it 's called the roots the roots of the hindrances and the roots of the hindrances are called the samyojanas. these are the 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 fetters or the the primary bondage, uh, which is not always felt. It depends only when you come to the end of your rope. Do you feel that, that you realize that you are captive, that you have limits, that you are a prisoner of your habits. Uh, so only by long processes, gradual processes, are they these semiogenous are weakened? And one day they could snap. And they snap easily. And that's the simile of the rope on the beach. And of course at the time of the Buddha, there there was no polypropylene. (laughs) It was all natural fiber (laughs) Mm -hmm. rope. And if you have been on a beach where you find rope from sailing ships and so forth, then substantial stuff, it could be an inch thick. If you pick it up, it's not possible to break that rope. But if you just come back a year or two later, and the rope is still on the beach, it will be the same diameter, it will look sturdy, but actually you can pick it up by that time and and break it, with just with your hands, very easily, because the sun and the wind and the rain have eroded each fiber, and now it's possible to break it. And that's the simile for this wearing away of the fetters, the samyojanas that are that are the deep um, rest, restrictions on your well-being and freedom. You can't break them just by hearing a talk and pulling hard. Uh, it just you don't have the strength. But as what is the sun and the wind and the rain? This is a listening to Dhamma talks again and again, and meditating again and again and again, and trying to bring it into your life again and again and again, day after day after day, weeks, months, years go by, and a weakening process is taking place, but the spectacular break has not been made. The gradual process is going on, though. Your fetters are being weakened. Every time you come to a retreat and so forth... You can't evaluate exactly what happened, perhaps. Sometimes you do have a, you have a feeling there's a breakthrough, there's a change. Or sometimes it comes after the retreat. You know, three weeks later, something drops away. Some Some new sense of lightness comes. But this is all the gradual process working on weakening these fibers which are all bound together. So... You can be assured that if you have just interrupted your mind and brought it back to the breath or uh, questioned a sense of sadness or irritability or worry or fear or anxiety and said, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing, I need this to go away. Every time you say that, even if you're not fully successful in it, you are weakening the fetters, you're weakening what binds you. And you're that much closer to it, um, falling away, breaking, and that much closer to a sense of of true liberation, where you've really understood it, and it's not coming back. So this is what uh, mindfulness, the process of mindfulness, is to is to carry out that process of weakening the fibers. And how do you weaken the fibers? Uh, it's this is something that I, my f- version or my favorite version of dependent origination. You know, it's like it looks like a clock, and at midnight there's this avijja or ignorance, a uh, lack of knowledge, basically. And then at one o'clock there's these uh, volitional formations, sankharas, and then at two o'clock there's consciousness, and they go down the various uh, stages of this. And most people focus around the um, um, tanha or uh, craving and this, uh, the possibility of, of interrupting it before it becomes clinging or <clears throat> some sort of grasping. And, uh, but I like to go back and it's usually not on the chart actually, strangely enough, I don't know why, Maybe we should make a video of a new chart, yes, because it's it's in the suttas, but it doesn't fit well on it on the twelve o'clock sort of twelve hour clock, twelve steps of Paticca samuppada there's five steps before uh noon, which are not on the chart so and the most important one is the one just before ignorance. what is ignorance it's it's the your lack of full awareness, which causes, out of which you make decisions. So that's the first two steps there. Because you don't have full information and skills, full awareness and skills, you make decisions based on the faulty information. And then that uh, consciousness is formed and shaped by those decisions. So that's these these first three factors. But the question is, what is it that sustains the 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 misinformation? What is it that sustains the misinformation? Why do you keep getting misinformation? Uh, the food, the nutriment of the of this is the five hindrances. And if you get your eyes on that, you, you can't actually see your own lack of information. You can't see. The mistake you're making. So, if you have a a map which is a wrong map, and you're carefully, meticulously following this map, but the map is wrong, you can't. You might be confused about like you thought you were going someplace. You're going to happiness, and you, you arrive at not happiness um, again and again, and you keep. It says right on the map, this is the way, and so forth. The map is wrong. So we need a new map. And how do you get a new map? You can't, uh, you can't see the problem in the map, but in this case, there is a sustaining factor. Now, I have to find a modern um, simile for this. I think it's uh, over-the-air updates, uh, software updates, have been sent to correct your GPS, whatever it is. Um, so, this it, avija, misinformation, lack of information, and disinformation is fed by the five hindrances. That's the cause for the arising of ignorance. So, what, this is so that's why the five hindrances are so important. All you have to do is starve it, starve your misinformation. Don't allow the hindrances to feed it. And you will find yourself a different person. You your your distortion of information will start falling away. You will just be and when when your, your, your mind processes start changing like that, when you start interfering with the hindrances, you you find yourself Making different decisions. So you see that uh, Sankara, the the volitional formations, decision making processes uh, follow avijja. And if avijja is starving, if if ignorance is not being supported and reinforced, then your decision making uh, process will change. And when you change, when you start making new decisions, not reacting in the same old same old, then your consciousness is altered. The structure of your consciousness is altered. And then that feeds back on decision making. So this is one of the little loops that they have. Sankara uh, gives rise to vijnana. Vijnana loops back and gives rise to sankara's so, decisions affect how you the formation of your apparatus, which experiences the world, and when that apparatus is uh, changed, then it feeds back on the decision making process but so, how do we just accelerate this thing as so all we have to do is keep our eye on this, these hindrances as as the most important if we just starve those out, if we just make a renewed um, determinations not to be angry, um, not to preoccupy ourselves with wanting and wishing and hoping and craving. If we don't uh, buy into our agitation, if we, if we skillfully treat it and reduce the kind of dis- distorted energies of agitation if we don't allow ourselves to believe in our sloth, our depression, our heaviness, and we, we invigorate that with some energies, if we don't get paralyzed by our doubts, if we seek sources of information to help us sort through our doubts, and that's one of the ways to do it, is to find people who, are, who know the answers to some of these questions, if we resolve our doubts by dissolving our doubts through serene practices, all of these things contribute to the withering away of your wrong information base, which compels you to make certain decisions which are unskillful. And as that weakens, as Avijja starts to... uh, it's uh, more or less like the deepest part of night. that you start to feel at early dawn. You start You start to be able to see things differently. You start to see the shapes of things, the outline of things. You haven't got the details yet, but as Avijja is lifting, you start to see things. You also start to get things, not get things like, but get it, like uh, sayings and, and little fragments of wisdom and stuff that you you've heard all your life and think wait a sec that's that's what that means i think i understand that now <clears throat> so this is the nature of the process is how it works and it's it's a very um causal mechanical thing we don't need to invest it with a lot of drama uh, we, but we do need faith. Uh, we have to have faith that it is a process like this. And it is has causes and it has structures to it. And that by addressing it in the correct way and very persistently over time, and that it's gradual, that it will have its effect. Now lots of people in the face of this earth will not ever hear this And they, because they will never hear it, they will not go along this path. Some will hear of it but dismiss it. Some will hear of it, um, make a few frantic efforts at it and abandon it. And then, but others, certain, will hear of it, reflect on it, give it a try, and persist at it. And they will get results from this. Because it's just about the nature of the mind. And the mind is not a personal thing. You didn't make your mind, you don't own your mind, you don't know how it was made or when it was made, if it was made. You just have it. And it's a thing that works in a certain way. And it's of a universal nature. And if we employ the universal uh, Rules of of uh, the operations of the mind, then we will get those results. Now, this is uh, you know you have to be in fortunate conditions. You have to encounter this stuff, and you have to usually. It's very hard to do simply on your own, as the Buddha said. You know, uh, it hopefully if you have this interior faculty of wise, the capacity for wise reflection you have one of the uh, two most important ingredients for liberation. But the other important ingredient is externally a, a good spiritual friend, a, like a spiritual teacher or teachers, uh, because most people are not gifted you know, intuitive geniuses. And Like the Buddha is, doesn't have a sangha to help him along. He's got, in fact, some that are helping him in the other direction. So he's an intuitive genius, manages to solve the issue on his own, like, like Einstein. Uh, but after Einstein, then you can go to classes that teach you uh, relativity and all this kind of stuff. and It's not so hard because you don't have to sort it out yourself. So that's the important uh, other ingredient in this is that, and the good fortune to be in a place at a time when you can encounter Dhamma appropriately delivered and be supported by the environment and uh, others practicing as well. So it's all these factors contributing to this development of the higher mind. Uh, in the West at this time as uh, uh, so so much more bounteous than than it was uh you know thirty years ago. you could get you know the books that were available then were you had to go to the most obscure bookstore in town and it was dubious whether you were going to find something that had any sense whatsoever um, now there 's a considerable amount of good mainstream maybe the only impediment now is there 's too much. Available now, you have to sort through these vast libraries of Buddhist books, and so uh, hopefully you negotiate that, navigate that wisely. There's, it's hard to give advice about how to select through these things, uh, these books, because it takes a lot of time, and, and how do you know? You don't want to waste your time doing it, so I advise you to just come here. (laughs) Just cut to the chase. (laughs) Um, So that's the uh, causes and conditions, and we really have to get, we have to be kind of scientific about this, because it really is just a method and a path, and it just needs to be engaged in with some vigor and with energy and with clarity and with good information, but it doesn't it doesn't require uh, beseeching God or anything like that. There's no melodrama to this you just and you're not you don't have to doubt yourself whether you're worthy because it, there's not worthy of what you know it's just a machine so just put in the causes. Don't consi- never mind your assessments of yourself, or whether you should, whether you deserve this, or uh, whether you don't deserve this. And there's a lot of negative inner voices about, yeah, but not me. I'm not, you know, other people are going to make these breakthroughs, but not me, and so forth. A, as if you are specially tainted or something. <laughs> it's not anything special. It's just the mind, universal process. No one really there. So this is the way you engage it, and um, you you don't sweat the small stuff. You will you will drift sometimes. You will fail to make and and remember it is sometimes very subtle. The the changes and the effects are subtle, and they can take long periods of time. But you, you, the faith is that that. You put in the right causes, results must appear. So that's the process. And I will, I will continue to talk mostly about the relationship between how mindfulness gets you to the, to the doorstep of samadhi. Of the last factor of the Eightfold Path. And, and a, a quite a bit about, about samadhi. And by the way, equanimity is part of samadhi. So we will get, we will close this loop. You were promised a retreat on equanimity, and where is the, where's the I, money back guarantee? By the end of this week, I will talk about equanimity once more. But I am talking, I'm doing a lead up to equanimity because everything, as I said in the first retreat, everything converges. All wholesome factors eventually converge in this beautiful, pristine. Uh, refined uh, condition of equanimity. So we will get there. Just enjoy the tour.